Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And today we are going to have some fun or maybe some frustration, depending on your awareness in this moment. We're going to explore the nature of consciousness, the nature of mind. So what is separation? And what is the infinite, indivisible whole of our being or awareness? And how can we even have a conversation about consciousness when it's not an object or thing within time and space? All good questions, right? So to quote our guest, we do not have awareness. We are awareness. Everything that is known by the mind is an expression and reflection of its own limitations. This is going to be so fun. I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind and heart and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. From an early age, Rupert Spira was deeply interested in the nature of reality. At the age of 17, he learned to meditate and began a 20-year period of study and practice, immersing himself in non-dual understanding and a variety of religious and spiritual teachings. He met his teacher, Francis Lucille, in 1997. Francis introduced Rupert to the direct path teachings and, more importantly, directly indicated to him the true nature of experience. Rupert is an author, prolific author, and I love the book I'm holding in my hands, The Nature of Consciousness, and a teacher. He lives in the UK and holds regular meetings and retreats in both Europe and the United States. Rupert, welcome to our show. Thank you, Julie. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, I'm happy to have you here. I, I tell you what, when I got this book in my hands, um, at first I thought, oh my gosh, um, I can't put it down. Can I keep going? And then I thought, after reading the book, where do I begin with a conversation on this for the radio, for our listeners? Because it is, the writing is exquisite. You use really beautiful language to describe the ineffable. So it's going to be fun to see where we go today. But Rupert, first I have a traditional question here. I think you're going to appreciate it because our show title is All Things Connected. I love to hear what this bigger perspective is and for you, Rupert, can you share with our listeners, what does All Things Connected mean to you? Well, if we take the, the, the primary quality, if we can call it a quality, of all things, and by all things, we mean um, the tables, the chairs, the books, the lamps, etc. Uh, but not just physical things, we could also be referring to thoughts, images, feelings, memories, ideas. If we include everything, if, if the word, by the word things, we include everything, what, what is there? 
What is their primary quality? It is the fact that they exist. If we're having a thought, that thought exists. While you are hearing the sound of my voice, that sound exists. When we look around our room and we see the tables and chairs and books, those objects exist. So existence is the common factor in all things. So being the common factor in all things, existence itself is not limited by any particular thing. In other words, existence or being is without any individual or limited qualities. It is, as such, infinite. In other words, the, all things derive their existence from a single, infinite, indivisible being. And of course, we, when I say we in this context, I mean we as human beings are also things. We are objects or entities. And this single, indivisible, infinite being shines in each of our minds as the knowledge, I am. It shines in all objects as the knowledge, it is. So the, the amness of ourselves and the isness of all things, whilst it seems to be a property of individual objects or entities or selves is in fact a single, infinite, indivisible whole. And all things, all people, all selves, all objects derive their seemingly separate existence from this shared infinite reality. And the common name for this experience, for this recognition, is love or beauty. So although when I explain it in rather philosophical terms like this, it may seem to some people um, a little philosophical or abstract. In fact, the experience of love or beauty is itself the experience of our shared being. And, and we all know this. When we, when we love someone or feel in love with someone, do we not feel to a greater or lesser extent that everything that separates us from that person dissolves. In other words, love is the experience that at our deepest essence, we are one. And exactly the same experience in relation to an object or nature is called beauty. When we are walking in the landscape or listening to a piece of music and our, our hearts are completely melted, what is that feeling of being melted. It is the feeling that everything that separates us from the landscape or the, the music dissolves. In other words, everything that seems to separate us from the, from the object or other dissolves. And in that moment, we experience our shared being with the object. And that sharing of being, that recognition of our shared being is what we call beauty. So love in relation to people and animals, beauty in relation to objects. Mm. I really appreciate you bringing in those two words, love and beauty. I, I didn't anticipate that 
in your response. And of course, I'm open to any response when I ask that question. Um, but I just imagined us, you talking about consciousness and awareness, but really grounding those two words right here is so beautiful in itself. Yeah. It's, you know? um, I think the, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because if we were just to talk about consciousness, whilst I know that some of your listeners may be familiar with non-duality or consciousness studies. Or for others, consciousness can seem to be a, a little heady, a little abstract. And, and when we talk about, um, you know, the, the absence of separation, for a lot of people, that is a nice idea. But what does it mean when we look around our room and we see all these all these objects when we when we go to work on the underground or, or we drive to work and we're surrounded by other people. What does non-separation actually mean? So I wanted to make sure that that we connect this word consciousness with our lived and felt experience, so that we're not having a uh, an, an abstract conversation, and also to to make it clear that this experience of non-separation is not something that is extraordinary or unknown or unfamiliar that only one in a million enlightened sages know about. We all know intimately the experience of non-separation. We may not ever have heard about non-duality, but everybody knows what the experience of love or beauty is. And, and they, they are expressions of non-duality or non-separation. Mm. Thank you for that clarification to Rupert. Um, I, you know, I love how your writing in, in the nature of consciousness has taken the, the understanding of consciousness and awareness and brought language to it so that we can, we can really look at our experience versus that beingness. So our experience of the things, of the material world. And your explanation of that is really poignant and right, like right on target. So the experience of the absence of separation you defined it as that that experience of love or beauty i appreciate that so deeply i really i think that that's a really powerful way of really understanding the experience of this reality yes and what's also interesting julie is that if we were to um conduct a survey of uh, let's let's take everyone let's take all seven billion of us and ask everyone are you interested in uh, the non-dual reality of things most people would look completely bemused and yeah. and, 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 and wouldn't know what we were talking about and, and would certainly not rate the non-dual reality of things as very high on their list of interests however if we ask those same seven billion people are you interested in the experience of love or beauty? Or is there anything you want in your life more than the experience of love? Almost all of them, if not all of them, would say, I want the experience of love is the, the culmination of experience. There is no experience that I rate higher than love. So everybody, although we may not formulate it in these rather philosophical terms that, that, that you and I are, are using. Everybody seeks one thing alone, and not just those of us that are spiritually inclined, not just those of us that are interested in non-duality, but all seven billion of us seek one thing alone, which is the experience of love 
or peace or happiness, which means we seek the collapse of the sense of separation. We long, everybody longs to be divested of the sense of separation. Wow, seek the collapse of the sense of separation. That's beautiful. So Rupert, let's let's define this. I love how you've really formulated the non-dual reality for us with the equating it to love or this sense of peace, happiness, beauty, and then, and how we all seek the collapse of the sense of separation. Thank you for that. It's beautiful. But let's define this non-dual reality. And I'd love to hear how you would define consciousness and awareness so we can put that into context for our conversation here today. Okay. Okay. Well, let's start with these two words, consciousness and awareness. Some people use these two words differently. I, I use them synonymously. Yeah. So um, whenever... I use the word consciousness or when or when they are completely interchangeable interchangeable. So what do I mean by the word and, and not just myself, of course, um, many, many people in in this uh, tradition, what what is meant by the word consciousness or awareness? Let me suggest this as a as a definition, and then we might unpack it a little bit to make sure that it's experiential. I would suggest that consciousness is that in which our experience appears, that with which our experience is known, and that out of which our experience is made. So let's just explore this um, three-part definition. Consciousness or awareness is that in which our experience appears. Now, by experience, I mean just our simple, ordinary, everyday experience, our, our thoughts, images, memories, feelings, the, uh, the, the sound of my voice, um, the sights, the perception of our room or the perception of the world, tastes, textures, um, smells, etc. All of these, uh, let's call them the objects of experience, uh, all of these appear in some kind of medium. Anything that appears must appear in something or on something. You can't have a, an email without a screen or a cloud without a sky. So our thoughts appear in something. And whatever it is in which our thoughts appear is not itself a thought. It is, it is a thought-free space or medium. So the first aspect of this definition is that consciousness is the, the field or, or the space in which all experience, both our so-called internal experience of thoughts and feelings and our so-called external perceptions of the world, all these appear in the field of consciousness. They are also known by consciousness. When, when I say known, I don't mean conceptually known. If we are experiencing the sight of our room, that perception is known. If we are hearing the sound of my voice, that, that, that sound is known or experienced. We are aware of it. Whenever a thought arises, we know or are aware of that thought. So consciousness is not just the 
the space or the space-like presence in which all experience appears or arises. It is also the knowing element in all experience, the that which knows or is aware of whatever it is we are experiencing. We may be deeply depressed. Our depression is known or experienced. We may be ecstatically happy. Our ecstasy is known. We are aware of it. In both cases, these two feelings and all feelings in between are known. And finally, awareness is that in which our experience appears. It is that with which our experience is known. And it is that ultimately out of which all experience is made. Just as the email that appears on the screen is made of the screen, just as the cloud that appears in the sky is made of the sky, just as the current that appears in the ocean is made of the water, so all experience, that is all thinking, feeling, sensing and perceiving, is made of the space of awareness, the empty space of awareness in which it arises. So ultimately, awareness or consciousness is the, the substance or the reality out of which all experience is made. And as experience is all that is or could ever be known, consciousness is the only element, the only reality that is in fact ever known or experienced. And it is, of course, experienced and, or known by itself. Mm. Rupert, thank you for that. I love all three of those pieces. And one of the things that I really appreciate about your book, the one that we're talking about today is The Nature of Consciousness. And the, the one thing that I really appreciate is how you've used a couple different examples that I think really assist us in understanding who we are in relationship to this consciousness and awareness in the world of objects. You use the theater, a movie theater with a screen and the movie, and you use the metaphor of the sun. And both of those metaphors are really helpful, I think, That's, in yeah. understanding this. Do you want to explain those? Yes. Okay. So um, my favorite metaphor, the, the, the screen on which the movie is playing. Now, it's very important to understand that this is a, it's a magical screen. It's not like a conventional TV screen or theater screen that is being watched by somebody sitting on the, the sofa. This is an aware screen. In other words, the screen is watching the movie that is playing upon it. So consciousness is like an aware screen. Now, of course, it is not really a two-dimensional screen. This is just a metaphor. In fact, consciousness has no dimensions. But in order to enable us to visualize it and speak of it, let's imagine that it is uh, a, a, a vast, borderless, aware screen. Or we could even imagine it as a, as a a vast space. But on this screen, this self-aware screen of consciousness, the movie of experience, and by the movie, I mean experience, thoughts, images, feelings, sensations, and perceptions. So the, all experience, the movie of experience, the drama of experience is playing on the screen of consciousness. And it is the screen itself that is watching the movie that is playing on it. And in fact, this is 
this is very close to our experience. All experience appears on the screen of consciousness, or we could say in the space-like presence of consciousness. And at the same time, it is consciousness that is knowing or aware of our experience. So we, it, it, this is what I meant when I, I think, think you quoted early on at the beginning of the program, that somewhere in the book, I say, we don't have consciousness, we are consciousness. In other words, we are not an entity, a physical entity, uh, of which consciousness is an attribute amongst many other attributes. The entity, if it can be called an entity, that we essentially are, is consciousness itself. We are primarily consciousness. And everything that we consider ourselves to be, thoughts, images, feelings, bodily sensations, perceptions, etc., is a play of consciousness in consciousness, known by consciousness. Mm. So that's a, that's a, a kind of a brief um, explanation of, of the, the screen and the movie metaphor. The, the sun metaphor is not quite, it's, um, it has a, it's useful for, for different purposes. All these metaphors, of course, none of them are completely accurate, but they all have a certain explanatory power. Yeah. And uh, what is lovely about the sun metaphor is that the sun always shines with the same brightness. There are, from the sun's point of view, there are no degrees of light. For us, that when I say us in this context, I mean us people on earth, it seems that the sun rises and sets, that some days it shines more brightly than, than at others. But that's just how it appears from our point of view. The sun actually never rises or sets. It never changes its position. It never, it has no dimmer switch. It never goes off and on. It never fades, etc. What obscures, what seems to make the sun's light dim or, or at times absent is the, the, the obscuring layers of cloud cover. Likewise, the obscuring layers of thought and feeling, or shall we say, when we get lost in our thoughts and feelings, this, um, the medium of awareness, the space-like presence of awareness within which all thoughts and feelings appear, seems to become obscured or even seems to be absence. And that's, this is when the great search uh, for, for our essential self, pure consciousness, begins. Of course, our essential self, pure consciousness, is, is never absent any more than, than the sun is ever absent. But it, it is obscured, or at least seemingly obscured. It is never really obscured. But it is obscured by thoughts and feelings in the same way. I'm now going to mix my metaphors. Sorry about that. In the same way that when we're watching a movie, the thriller may be so absorbing that we get completely lost in it. And we forget that we are seeing a screen. We, In other words, we, we think that the drama in the movie is real. And as a result, we are terrified by it. Of course, even when we seem to have forgotten the screen, we are still seeing it. The screen is never really obscured by the movie, but it seems to be due to our involvement in the drama. Likewise, the presence of awareness and, and its innate peace and happiness is never really obscured by experience, but it seems to be due to our, our losing ourselves completely in experience. So the, the, these two metaphors, that they, they are both um, very, uh, very 
powerful. They both have great explanatory power. For instance, just going back to the sun, uh, the sun, another um, quality of the sun is that unlike the moon, the sun illuminates itself. The moon has no light of its own. There is, in fact, no such thing as moonlight. Moonlight is simply reflected sunlight. Yeah. Um, the sun illuminates itself, but the moon is illuminated by the sun. So likewise, um, awareness is self-illuminating or self-knowing. It knows just as the sun illuminates itself by itself because its nature is light. So awareness or consciousness knows itself by itself because its nature is pure knowing or pure consciousness. Mm. So a thought is illuminated or known by consciousness. A thought itself is not conscious. A body, for instance, our bodies, in our, in our I was going to say our Western culture, but in fact in our world culture, we, we believe and more importantly feel that our bodies are conscious. In other words, that our bodies have consciousness, that consciousness is an attribute of our bodies. But this is not so. Consciousness is not an attribute of anything. Consciousness is, is, is belongs to itself. That the body, the experience of the body is illuminated or known by consciousness. It doesn't have a the body is not conscious in and of itself. Only consciousness is conscious. Only awareness is aware. You know, oh, thank you, Rupert. You know, I, I want to get back to the body briefly after we take a, a quick break here. And I want to get to the mind and see how you define mind, because I, I appreciate what you've written about the mind as well. And then I have some really tough questions for us <laughs> of how do we apply this really to our lives and, and what we're perceiving in this collective consciousness on the planet right now. There's so much going on. So, um, I'm, I'm really excited to get into the good stuff. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. We're here talking with Rupert Spira. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll return in just a moment. We have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound, chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle. Simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. 
And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, oh, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Great party, huh, guys? Yeah, oh, yeah it is. This is so great. much fun. Uh-huh. I do say so myself. Um, hey, did you know that birthday parties actually help build confidence in kids? Um, yeah, I did know that. Did you know that giving kids less sugar before bedtime helps them sleep better? Right, of course. Yeah, I knew that. Um, did you know that strollers have the right of way on sidewalks? Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Did you know that friendly kids statistically have more friends? <laughs> Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah it's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah so yeah. obvious. Hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? I didn't know that. I think I knew that. No, no, you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Well, he moved early. That's going to draw the yellow flag. Offsides, number 72, five yards. Check out this fan leaving the game. He's headed straight up the middle and right into a sobriety checkpoint. Let's see how he handles it. No, officer. I haven't been drinking. I'm the designated driver. Upon further review, this fan made the right call by being a designated driver. Sign up to be the designated driver at the stadium and always buckle up. You could follow your favorite NFL team to the Super Bowl, provided as a public service by the station and team coalition. Be the change you want to see in the world. This is Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie. I'm here today with Rupert Spira, and you can find so much more about his work. And um, oh, just, there's just a it's a beautiful website, and you'll find links to all of his books. There's there's so much there. Look for Rupert at non dash duality dot rupert spira dot com that's n-o-n dash d-u-a-l-i-t-y dot rupert r-u-p-e-r-t spira s-p-i-r-a dot com rupert thank you for those explanations of of consciousness and awareness and then just bringing in this body and I, I, I want to expand on the body and impact that a little bit but also bring in the mind you you know we talked about the body that really the body is the experience of the world and the world we create the body and the world is this experience as the object and the reflection there's so much in your book I can't even paraphrase it but now we're bringing in what is the mind? The I is this name that the mind gives to itself. And the I that is experiencing the experiences. And so I want to bring in the mind into the conversation so we can kind of pull all this together and then and then maybe leap out into even more expansive fields here. Okay. 
So mind, I, we could define as the activity of consciousness. Just as we could define a, a movie, relatively speaking, as the activity of the screen or a wave, the activity of the ocean. So mind, we could define as the activity of consciousness. Now, when I use the word mind in this context, I don't just mean thoughts and images. I mean our entire experience, thinking and imagining, but also feeling, sensing, seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, and smelling. So I use the word mind in a very... Uh, in a very broad sense, to include the totality of our experience. Because, in fact, all we experience of the so-called body and world is a flow of sensations and perceptions or, or, or a flow of experiences of sensing and perceiving. So, in fact, if we make a very careful but, but simple and honest exploration of our experience, that the body is experienced as a, as a flow of sensations and perceptions, and the world is experienced as a, a flow of perceptions. And all sensations of, and perceptions appear in consciousness. The sound of my voice is appearing right now in the only place in which it is possible for any experience to appear, and that is in consciousness. If everyone were now to... Now, look around the room, everything, or, or if we look out of the window, look out at the world, everything we know of that room or that world, indeed, everything that anybody knows or experiences of the world is a flow of perceptions, that is, sights, sounds, tastes, textures, and smells. And all of these, all perceptions, appear in the only place that it is possible for anything to appear in, and that is in consciousness. So contrary to uh, the, the, the prevailing world's paradigm in which we have all been um, raised and, and conditioned, in which we believe and feel that consciousness it, it lives in the body and is a byproduct of the body, more specifically a byproduct of the brain. Our actual experience tells us something quite different. Our body, our consciousness is the primary element of experience, and our body, and indeed the world, is experienced as a flow of sensations and perceptions appearing in consciousness. I love the idea of it being the flow when when we talk about just this ever changing flow of ideas and thoughts and sensations and perceptions and and even our imaginings like right now we're in this place of hearing your voice and yet with and I, I would love to hear how you you speak of this I imagine none of our listeners are imagining that you're sitting in UK in a room that maybe painted a certain color and at a certain place or, or even imagining you, but we're hearing and perceiving your voice and the words at the same time. And I, so 
it's it's hard to make sense of this, but what what I'm thinking about is this play then of understanding experience versus as this experience of continuous flowing change of thoughts, images versus consciousness, this play of separation and union, like who are we really? (laughs) Because we're not this body as separate from this expansive, limitless place of consciousness. Go ahead. Let's imagine now that that, uh, I don't know how many um, listeners you have, but let's imagine that numerous people are listening all over the world to this interview and that they are hearing the sound of our voices which appear to them as perceptions and those perceptions appear in consciousness but you might well say but Rupert you are situated in your room in Oxford over the other side of the world and that is obviously outside my consciousness but let's suppose that my son were to walk into the room now and see me sitting um, at, at my table uh, conducting this conversation with you, he, would his knowledge of me, would his experience of me confirm that I exist outside consciousness? No, of course not, because his only knowledge of me here in, in Oxford, so to speak, would still be a perception in consciousness. And it's a very interesting question to ask oneself. Mm. Have I ever... Or could I ever encounter anything, anything at all, outside consciousness? I mean, ask yourself this question now, Julie, and it's a question that all your listeners could ask themselves. Just scan your, not only your current experience, uh, the sound of our voices, the sensation of the soles of our feet on the floor, etc., but go to your remembered experience and your imagined experience and and go to the extremes. Imagine the most wonderful experiences you have ever had, the most awful experiences you have ever had, the strangest experiences, um, a near-death experience, a a, a vision of God, a a hallucination, a a deep depression. Um, Where did all these experiences take place? Did they not all take place in consciousness. In fact, can you now, with your attention, can you venture outside consciousness? See if, if with your attention, you can, you can literally leave the field of consciousness, L- like you might get up and leave the room in which you are now sitting. Can, can you travel with your attention outside consciousness? Mm. Never. It's not possible. And this is so not just for those of us that are interested in these philosophical or spiritual or non-dual matters. This is true of of anyone. Nobody, nobody has ever or could ever encounter anything outside consciousness. And yet, strangely, our world culture is founded on the assumption that a physical universe exists outside of and prior to consciousness and not only exists outside of it and is prior to it, but actually gives rise to Mm -hmm. consciousness. Now, what's strange, although this is the uh, paradigm that that, 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 uh, um, underpins our entire world culture, nobody has ever, indeed nobody could ever, 
find this physical world outside consciousness. Indeed, physicists are still looking for it. And the more they look for matter, the less like matter, matter becomes. It's not a coincidence that physicists and scientists haven't yet found the, the, the actual stuff called matter, because matter is the stuff that is supposed, it supposedly exists outside consciousness, but it's not possible to find an experience of anything outside consciousness. Well, the other part, Rupert, that's that's brilliant. And the other part that I think is important to just kind of pause here and, and maybe clarify is that science, not only quantum science is, is looking at matter and it, and it kind of disappears, but also the study of consciousness creates more separation. We've, we've created, we've created separation in trying to understand what's not separate and this it's it's brilliant how you describe it but states and stages of consciousness can't be separate from consciousness and yet we're trying to understand consciousness by creating states and stages of consciousness yeah. can you can you just speak to that for a brief moment really there are no states of consciousness there are states of mind and let me give you an analogy for this. Let's go back to the to our analogy of the screen, the aware screen upon which the movie is playing. And let's say that one evening we watch, first of all, a documentary and then a, a drama and then the news. So here are three different programs, each of them very different, that correspond um, to different states of the mind. But in each case, the screen upon which the documentary, the drama, and the news are playing doesn't itself ever undergo any change. The screen uh, colors itself in the form of the documentary, the drama, and the news, but the screen itself never changes. So... Consciousness is like that. Consciousness itself never changes. It is always in the same condition, just like your screen is always in the same condition, irrespective of what is playing on it. But the, the, the programs that are playing on the screen do change. They're, they're made of the screen, but so the screen is as such their, their unchanging reality, but the appearance of that unchanging reality that is the documentary, the drama, and the news, is always changing. Likewise, the, the reality of the mind, that is the reality of all thinking, sensing, and perceiving, is pure consciousness. Your consciousness itself never changes, but it changes its appearance like a, like a chameleon changes its colors, but always remains the same animal. So consciousness changes its appearance. It sometimes appears as the waking state, it can appear as the dream state. It can appear as all kinds of different states. But, but the reality of each of those states of mind is always the same unchanging consciousness. Thank you, Robert. So with the world, the state of our being right now, I'm going to ask a more specific question in just a second. But I want to lay the groundwork for this question in our understanding of being conscious of consciousness itself. There's this big movement of of many 
<laughs> who are like you and I, you know, exploring and playing in this field of consciousness, who are describing humanity as waking up to itself, that we're being, we're conscious of ourselves expanding in consciousness now. And I'm just curious how you might explain that before we talk about what in the world is going on on our planet. We don't have that much time left, but I'd love to, to okay. get to just a little bit of that. All right. Let's um, imagine that uh, we're watching a movie again, and the movie involves a community of people. And the, all sorts of people are involved in this community, different interests, different ages, different uh, all, all kinds of differences. But the, the, the entire community is um, has been conditioned by the prevailing materialistic world paradigm uh -huh. um, that, that, that we have been brought up with. And that is everyone in the community in this movie thinks that they basically were born into a, a, a physical universe made out of dead, inert stuff called matter – and at some stage, their bodies were uh, created and in their bodies, uh, a, a brain grew. And, and at some point, the brain gave rise to consciousness. So everyone in the community uh, believes and feels this. And as a result, they all act as independent entities or people cut off from or separate from in various degrees everyone and everything else. So this is the kind of prevailing paradigm of this uh, community in, in our movie. Now, imagine one of these people and it, for whom it begins to dawn on them that the, the character in this movie, she, it begins to dawn on her that what she essentially is, and I'm going to stick with our metaphor, she, she's just the, the screen. She's made of the TV screen. That, that what she essentially is, is the same as what everyone and everything else essentially is. In other words, a single character in this movie begins to wake up to the fact that she's not an isolated individual entity separate from and independent of everyone else. She begins to intuit that her essential reality, that is the, the screen, which is her essence or her, her nature, is, is a single indivisible screen that underlies the appearance of all the objects and others in her environment. In other words, we could say that this person, this character in the movie, is waking up to her reality. And in proportion to the extent to which she wakes up, so that is in proportion to the extent that she realizes that, that the shared ground of being, the ground of being that she shares with all objects and others, to that extent, she, her behavior begins to change. She no longer treats uh, other people. It, it, it becomes almost impossible for her to take advantage, for instance, or to cause hurt to somebody else, because she knows that the so-called other is in fact, is in fact simply a, a, another face of herself. Uh, so she not only 
theoretically understands, but much more importantly, she feels that what she does to another, she does to herself. And as a result of this, her behavior changes profoundly. Mm. So That's a, yeah, so go ahead. Just to, I think the, the analogy is obvious. Um, to take now individuals in, in to take us individuals, most of us, we've all been brought up with the prevailing materialistic paradigm and most people believe and feel and, and subsequently act and relate as if they were isolated individuals separate from, to a greater or lesser extent, everyone and everything else. But some individuals and uh, possibly a growing number of individuals are beginning to wake up to or recognize that what they essentially are, that is the, the, the consciousness or awareness that, that is the essence of themselves, that shines in their mind as the knowledge I or I am, is the same unlimited indivisible, indivisible being from which all apparently separate objects and others derive their seemingly separate existence. And such a, in other words, such a person begins to wake up to our shared being, yeah. the single, infinite, indivisible consciousness of which we are all apparently separate, but not really separate expressions or manifestations. And of course, in, in religious language, this um, indivisible, infinite, shared being is uh, what's called God. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing in the term shared being, and you've used it several times here. Thank you for that. That's really a, a, a beautiful um, manifestation of this existence that we're talking about here. I don't think that's even the right language <laughs> to even describe that. But anyway, I appreciate the shared being. But Rupert, I have a, a another important um piece that I'd love for you to reflect on then as we close the show. So this illusion of separation that we're seeking to collapse the sense of separation, we know environmental degradation, social injustices, there's so much happening in the world that really comes from that movie playing with that perceived experience of separation that's really not that field of consciousness that we're talking about. What could our listeners do today? And we have many brilliant, amazing evolutionary beings who tune into our show. What might they do to assist in this experience of the field of consciousness and help with um whether that's a teaching tool, whether that's you do a beautiful job every time I watch a video, it's a beautiful job of helping others to understand this nature of consciousness. What can our listeners do to help others understand the nature of consciousness? Well, what, what I'm doing and, and many others in, in a similar position is just one way of sharing this felt understanding. And there are numerous other ways. And that's the first thing that's, I think, important to say. Um, this, this this understanding can be expressed in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And everyone will have their own unique, or, although the understanding is shared, it's the same understanding that has been shared for centuries, for, for millennia. 
th that understanding that what Aldous Huxley called the perennial philosophy, the philosophy that that is the same in all places at all times and for all people, that understanding, although it is essentially the same, when it is expressed, it is expressed according to the time and place in which it appears, and indeed according to the person in whom it appears. So this gives rise to the possibility of uh, um, innumerable different expressions of this understanding. So that's the, the first thing I'd like to say, that the way I'm doing it is just one way that that is um, in line with my particular character. So what, what's, what's the most important thing for everyone? We could put it like this. Everything we experience is experienced through our minds. And therefore, everything we experience is subject to the limitations of each of our minds. And therefore, the, the most important endeavor that anybody can undertake is to explore the nature of their own minds. Because our, our, our mind superimposes its own limitations on everything that it knows or experiences, just as one who wears um, orange sunglasses will perceive everything tinted orange, not because everything out there is orange, but because the filter through which they look is uh, tinted orange and therefore and lends its tint to objective reality or, or rather to, to reality. Likewise, we, we look at our experience through the filter of our limited minds. And therefore, we cannot really know anything. Everything we know about reality will be filtered through the limitations of our minds. And therefore, the most important endeavor that anyone can undertake, anyone that wants to know the nature of reality, would be to explore the, the nature or the essence of their own mind. And this is, this is really the, 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 the question that is the core question in all the great religious, spiritual, and philosophical traditions. What is, the, what is the nature of the mind through which all experience and knowledge is known? Until we know that, we cannot really know anything true about the mind's knowledge or experience. What is the nature of my mind? Who am I? What is the nature of myself? And this takes the mind on, on a unique journey, not outwards towards the objects of experience, but inwards, so to speak, to, towards its own essence or, or nature. And at some point, this, this self-recognition takes place, this recognition of the nature of our essential self. And that is the, that is the, the culmination, or it is the highest possible knowledge. It's, it's, it's referred to as absolute knowledge, the knowledge of the essence, the, the mind's knowledge of its own essence. Consciousness is knowledge of itself. And then Having, having tasted this self-knowledge, we then return again to the objects of experience and we express this knowledge, this understanding through the, with our own particular qualities and talents and, and skills such as they are. Beautiful. So I would encourage everyone to, in whatever way appeals to them, to, to explore 
to take one of these questions, to explore the essence or the nature of, the, of themselves or, or their yeah. experience, and then to share the fruits of that exploration in their own unique ways, with their own unique skills. Beautiful. Rupert, this has been a delight to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Julie. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it, it was my pleasure. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in as well. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. And remember, together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.